Welcome to the second official episode of Headful, the science podcast for the passionately curious and the curiously passionate. Just like last time, I'm your host, Sean Cook, and today we're getting yet another headful of the one and only Sarah Mishik, a researcher from San Diego, my newly minted co-host of this podcast, and a gosh darn interesting person to talk to. Today, Sarah and I are talking about how climate change affects the microbiome and how the microbiome affects climate. Folks, this was honestly one of the most fun and exciting science conversations I've ever had. I, I'm not exaggerating. I was, I had goosebumps. I was excited. I was animated. I think I was talking too much, but it was just super fun. It was so exciting that I failed to notice when my laptop crashed halfway through the conversation, losing about 20 minutes of really primo chit-chat between Sarah and I. Guys, can you say Heartbreak Hotel? I mean, this was such a bummer sitting there in the studio and just realizing that we had just lost half the conversation, but no crying over spilled milk, right? So Sarah and I just laughed it off, then wrapped up the conversation. You know, this is my second ever podcast. I think I'm getting better at this, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So, all right, let's do this, shall we? Let's get a head full of Sarah Mishik. Co-hosting, yeah. Um, we're equal equal hosts. We're both equal co-hosts host. of each other. <laughs> this is a hostless podcast now. It's a hostless podcast. <laughs> um, all right, so Sarah, so we are talking about uh, well, we're ahead of time. We just we decided to discuss um, the interaction between uh, microbes in um, in the biome and climate change. So, and so I'm definitely interested in in the bidirectionality of it. So how microbes are impacted by climate change and how climate change is impacted by microbes. So, and then also because of your experience, I also really want to know specifically about uh, microbes at the, at, the, uh, at, at the deep sea microbes, extremophiles, and how those are impacted by climate change, specifically because of the, the physical um, um, separation, uh, you know, how, how, and so, it's almost like climate change, I feel like, is a, in my mind anyway, is, is kind of a, a surface, you know, like like a surface level phenomenon, um, and, and, you know, impacting maybe the, the upper like 100 meters or two of, of the ocean. Um, but certainly, you know, this whole big blue marble is, is just one science experiment, one big Petri dish. So, you know, uh, okay, so what do you think? Where should we start? Well, Great I topic. mean... It's an incredible topic because microbes are the majority of the biomass here on Earth, right? So um, when we're talking about the interaction between climate change and microbes, it's incredibly important, but it's super, super difficult to quantify the effect of climate change on microorganisms just because the diversity of microbes, the way in which they interact to environmental changes is so diverse. Mm. So it's really hard to definitively say this causes this, you know, to define a clear cause and effect, especially when we're talking about um, marine microorganisms, um, deep sea sediments, things like that. They're really difficult to assess. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, like you mentioned, when we're talking about the deep sea, um, there really is very little data 
And yeah. unfortunately, when we're talking about climate change, climate change um, occurs over a very extended period of time, yes. right? So we need studies that extend past mm-hmm. what would traditionally be considered a typical study, right? We're just getting our baseline established right, right exactly. now, especially in the deep sea microbe environment, right. microbial environment. Absolutely. So we have nothing to compare it to. We have, we have, we're generating one long-term data point, and and it's like, okay, yeah, exactly. It looks cool down there, but how's it changing? Totally, yeah. and I mean, especially considering that we have so many different environmental niches mm. to talk, like to think about here. Yeah. So not just in the marine environment, but just within the terrestrial environment. You know, you've got. Um, all these different types of environments that react very differently. So an example would be um, climate change. As our temperature warms, it's expected to warm to, um, about 10 degrees Celsius by the end of the of the century, which is mm. a lot, right? Mm. So when we're talking about that, in certain parts of the world, in certain environments, that would cause a melt in permafrost, mm-hmm. which would cause an incredible amount of carbon dioxide and, and other greenhouse gases, exactly, and yeah. methane to be released into the environment. Mm-hmm. However, on the flip side of that, um, some studies have indicated that at least in the short term, an increase in temperature might increase productivity of certain microorganisms in the marine environment. Mm. But the effects of that, the long-term effects of that, can only be postulated, right? We sure. don't know. Yeah. So, it's like, for example, something that we do know for certain is that when temperature increases, mm-hmm. um, it tends to favor the growth and the production of toxic cyanobacterial blooms. When, what what produces... what? In- so, increase in temperature oh. will increase the survival rate and the growth mm-hmm. of the toxic cyanobacterial blooms. So, we see that in, like, eutrophic lakes, reservoirs, things like that, where you just get that layer on top, mm-hmm. right? And they tend to produce really toxic chemicals like hepatoxins, neurotoxins, things that are really toxic. Toxic to the upper, um, to, to the more complex life forms like Af- fish, reptiles, And people, us, yeah, animals. exactly. Yeah. So it limits our ability to use them, use the water um, for... And so that, <laughs> when you say that, that makes me think, it, it makes me imagine that it's just further um, demolishing biodiversity making, you know, just exaggerating the, the the monoculture that we're becoming. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, certainly temperature change, pH change, like acidification, mm-hmm. um, things like that, they definitely um, will cause microbial communities to adapt and shift mm-hmm. in response to these environmental changes. So mm-hmm. typically, like what we're seeing in the ocean, for example, um, is a shift towards... Um, larger, more uh, bulkier algae mm. rather than the smaller, more diverse microbial. Why large and bulky um, Because they're able to, to withstand um, heat changes in the environment. So a um, more extreme change. So like a different uh, pH, a lower pH, oh. so more acidic environment, um, mm. increased temperatures, things like that. And also when talking about the ocean, something to remember is that um, the microorganisms are also subject to, they can move, mm-hmm. right? So they can, if they don't adapt, they can move or they become extinct and replaced by 
mm-hmm. new organisms that are hardier and are able yeah, to Yeah, something that's that's evolved for a very specific lake right. in Minnesota isn't going to be able to to shift down to Oklahoma right. or to, yeah, exactly. And I mean, or up, I guess. Right, and, there, and there's implications for that, right? Yeah. So when you have a microbial community that changes, um, especially in the mm-hmm. ocean, um, there's a symbiosis that occurs between microbes and the larger organisms that exist. So an example is coral. Mm-hmm. Um, the microbial symbionts of coral are responsible for mm-hmm. um, getting rid of waste, for accessing or sort of providing uh, nutrients and vitamins to the coral, things like that. And so when you have these microbial, this microbiome that exists with this, the sponges or the coral moving or evolving or, or changing, mm-hmm. that, that changes the coral's ability to adapt as well to mm-hmm. changes in climate change. Yeah. So one of the um, huge concerns of um, climate change as it results to microbial diversity, um, so we the the concern is that changes in microbial diversity will affect the resilience of all other organisms um, and hence their ability to respond appropriately to well, climate my, change. Yeah, I mean, microbes, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like microbes are, will, will generally are, because they have such uh, more rapid reproduction cycles, they're just able to, to adapt faster. So in theory, they will be, pretty big winners of, of climate change and because all this complex these complex life forms are going to get pretty annihilated pretty hard. Yeah. The, you know. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point. So there's conflicting studies with that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if we're talking, obviously, my specialty is the ocean. So if we're talking about the ocean here, mm-hmm. right, um, if we're talking about ocean acidification, which is occurring now, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But one thing that happens when the um, ocean acidifies is that the uh, microbes focus more of their energy towards maintaining pH homeostasis rather than growth and productivity. Mm-hmm. So it if actually affects the product, the surrounding ecological productivity and their ability to function oh, within their environment. Yeah. Right. And so in some studies, it shows that, OK, an increase in temperature um, will actually increase growth Mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Um, but it also shows that it'll increase uh, respiration, which mm-hmm. will increase output of CO2 to the environment, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of different things that we just don't know. Things respond differently mm-hmm. depending on what process is occurring, Yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. The, it's hard to say definitively. Microbes are going to... Some have shown to be really well adept at... Um, changing according to temperature changes or solar changes, solar mm-hmm. radiation changes, sorry. Um, and others have shown to um, kind of shift into the survival mode of, okay, we're going to maintain homeostasis, we're going to maintain our regulatory processes mm-hmm. rather than focusing on growth and reproduction and productivity and things like that. Yeah. So it just depends, um, and it's really going to depend on our ability to accurately study these in the future and just see if we can get that long-term data. Mm-hmm to kind of more definitively state what's really going on and what could be going on. It also makes me wonder if, I mean, at this point, we're still, we still have the luxury of, of um, being able to just collect data. And it's all, we're still, we're, we're still in the, in the uh, predictive phase, I, I For would sure. say. Well, we got about, what, 20, 50 years left? And then, it's so then scary. the poop's going to hit the fan. And then we're going to have to be in the reactive phase. And we're going to have to learn, not just, we're not, no longer going to have the luxury of just learning about them. We're going to have to say, okay, how do we deal with, you know, the fact that there's no more polar ice caps right. or there's no more ozone or, sure. yeah, uh, you know, the, the, there's no more insects. Like, can we, 
make an algae that becomes our, our pollinator? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, and it's crazy because these ecological processes like them, you know, the carbon cycle, the nitrogen cycle, all these things that exist Mm -hmm. and allow um, life to live and thrive. Mm -hmm. um, They are so, they have to be so precisely regulated in order to maintain life on this planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our activities as humans, um, as well as just climate change generally, are really affecting the interaction of these processes. Because essentially when you're talking about a cycle, carbon is released, sorry, carbon dioxide is released into the environment, and then it's absorbed back into these carbon sinks, like the marine marine sediment, right? And Mm -hmm. then it's released back into the environment into the atmosphere and then it's absorbed back into this mm-hmm. carbon sink, right? So it's like a very regulated process. Same thing with nitrogen and methane and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And our burning of fossil fuels, for example, is widely or is very much um, causing these cycles to become incredibly unbalanced. It takes millions yeah. of years yeah. for some of this, this organic matter to be decomposed and mm-hmm. to to exist in these huge carbon sinks yeah. in the deep sea right yeah. but then the rate at which we're burning fossil fuels and releasing carbon dioxide and other um you know greenhouse gases mm-hmm. back into the atmosphere is takes a fraction of a second yeah so it's just like the rate of reactions for these two processes are mm-hmm. not equal right. and it's kind of a, a positive feedback mechanism right mm-hmm. we're just accelerating the rate of climate change sure. you yeah. know what i mean yeah i was thinking about this uh i think about this all the time but the the i was thinking about specifically about the rate of of change in the in the climate and how this isn't the first mass extinction that the world has seen the Absolutely. world has seen yeah of course but like seven six or seven of them i, I can't remember maybe it de- depends on what you define how you define a mass extinction but you know mass extinctions probably also have been caused by a variety of sources uh meteor impact volcanic activity um ice age you know maybe the tilt of the earth something you know pedigree to the sun something like that so um uh, so this is just another another source of 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 of, of the modification of of the the, the balance the, in in the in the biosphere, and 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 so it made me think. You know, the um, uh, the asteroid impact in the in in Mexico sixty five million years ago that wiped out the dinosaurs. From what I understand. You know, the extinction event lasted about twenty-four hours. You know, it was. Have you heard? Have you heard of that? I have not. You should That's check really it out. Interesting. The, some of the evidence of of what happened, literally in twenty-four hours after the 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 meteor hit the hit the hit the. I'm going to try. I'm going to totally screw this up. So go check it out <laughs> okay. for sure. But but That's essentially, so it hit it hit the the earth, right? It, it created a fireball, went up in the air, ignited the atmosphere on fire. Wow burned the entire like most of the world like they found like layers of glass and stuff they found like like um and of course not it's not just the impact zone like it just instantly spread all around the world there was like a tidal wave that was like a mile tall that that just like swept they found like you know like um um uh uh, aquatic uh fossils like embedded in like um, you know, tree sap, you know, wow. amber, like, yeah. you know, like a hundred miles inland Whoa. and just, it's just insane. That's crazy. So that's a fast, that, that is a fast extinction. Yeah, it is. Whereas, you know, maybe like some increase in volcanic activity probably took, you know, a hundred, 200, 300,000 years. It had the same effect. It's a slow death. To slow, yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> okay. and and maybe there were some like there were some types of mammals that that were able to just barely mm-hmm. keep ahead of that change for sure. So I feel like 
you know, human beings, we now started this, um, really got this, <laughs> we got this party started about, about 100 years ago, um, and we're probably about halfway through. Um, you know, I mean, these are just, you know, um, uh, uh, back the envelope, you know, uneducated guesses. But, but still, you know, let's say, let's say 200 years, let's give it 1,000 years at most. So it's interesting how, how it compares to the other mass extinctions. Um, you know, if you set aside the tragedy of... <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I, yeah, and especially it's like at what point will our technological innovations be unable to sustain us in the face of our yeah. environmental degradation and kind yeah. of what's going on around us, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, we thus far as a human race, we've been really successful at kind of putting it on the back burner and, yeah. you know, and things like desalination, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able to find fresh water where there was none previously. Just that's a silly example, but you know what I mean, right? So it's like, how long can we sustain that? How Mm -hmm. long can we continue to pretend that this doesn't affect us? And I mean, it's very common human nature, right? Is the shadow of the future, right? Like Mm -hmm. we don't, humans are not wired to inherently care about something that's not going to affect We're not actually terribly rational beings. Right, exactly. And I mean, so, you know, unless it's going to affect me, it's like, eh, right? That's so common, not just as it relates to the environment, but in every sort of human interaction. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so our generations are now having to say, okay, yes, this is not going to directly affect me, mm-hmm. but in how many years mm-hmm. are we going to be faced with a situation where we can't continue to sustain ourselves? Right? Yes. Like, let's... And that, but, but that does beg the question, are humans really going to be able to slow, if not stop, the process that's already been set into motion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like... There's a certain have, amount of momentum to right, the change. So exactly. Even, like uh, Elon Musk pointed out, uh, on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, which I finally listened to like a year and a half late. Anyway, like, um, you know, even if we snapped our fingers and changed all cars to, right. be, to be battery powered today, it still would take 25 years to replace to the change. current exam- Yeah, so. Well, and even so, like, even if we did that, mm-hmm. is it, I mean, is it possible to think that, okay, the environment and our ecological functions have already kind of been set into motion towards another. Yeah. Another extinction type event like yeah. is that you know what i mean is i that... think i see humanity as just being you know there, in a way I, I view humanity as a um as a big what would be the the proper metaphor almost like a machine in and of ourselves that is just um it's almost like a vacuum that inhales a certain you know inhales the environment and outputs the environment in a changed fashion no matter what and i and i often think this i'm a bit of a nihilist when it comes to climate change that's why you know i don't get too terrified or freaked out by it just because i feel like yeah we're all screwed you know this is just how it's going to happen even if we were extraordinary this is my opinion even if we're extraordinarily um responsible what would that look like we still would each have to have a house we each would have to eat exactly yeah Yeah. so it it would modify certainly the rate and we could, I think human beings could, you know, we have the capacity to, to live in harmony with, with the biosphere as it is right now, but it would still change. Really? I, I, I think we, I think tech, like from a technological perspective, we could figure it out if we wanted to. But from a political, social, 
and you know economic perspective there's there's absolutely no way we're you know not when we not when we keep electing people that just <laughs> deny the, the situation conversation yeah. for another time for yeah sure. exactly no yeah. but i mean we're we're living the we've set into motion what malthus predicted right like we're multiplying mm. malthus yeah no, the malthusian I, growth can you theory. elaborate <laughs> well essentially like we are growing at an exponent so human population grows at an exponential oh, rate yeah. and natural resources decline like this right so there's uh, going to be kind of a what's it called a critical cro- yeah we're going to reach critical mass where we can no longer sustain the people where, that exist is there an actual is there literally a graph somewhere yeah. that yeah, says yeah, yeah, where, yeah. where we're at on that oh point? no i have oh. no idea i'm oh, sure okay. there is i'm sure there is yeah. i do not know of it but it's just something that you learn about in like basic biology like malthus predicted that we were going to vastly like you know overpopulate the earth and outgrow our natural which actually malthus was really accurate in predicting that and it mm-hmm. happens with different animal populations yeah. it happens mm-hmm. all the time yeah. and it's kind of a um a check on the population mm-hmm. right it's like very common mm. you know so um jared diamond's book collapse from 10 15 years ago is, I, I i don't recall it directly but i'm it, that's that's the topic he points out like um the population of easter island i think um that that was a human population that showed up I don't remember the numbers, 15,000 years ago or something like that. And prior prior to the arrival of humans, the, the, the island had lush forests. Mm-hmm. It's tropical. had huge, yeah. huge trees just, just like full of life. And within like a few hundred years of people showing up, gone, just yeah. totally wiped out. Like every tree cut down on the entire yeah. island. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, they, they're, there reaches a capacity at which... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's max capacity. Right? Yeah. You can't, you can't exist past that. So it's like, when do we reach that? There will certain, and I mean, unfortunately, like I think, I think that there will certainly be a point where we have um, overpopulated this planet to a point where, unfortunately, in certain countries, people will suffer sure. in a way to correct yeah. that overpopulation yeah. as it yeah. maybe it's famine drought, whatever, like that's going to happen and it's already happening, right? We just, our availability of resources is dwindling Mm -hmm. drastically, but yet we can water (laughs) and actually believe it or not, our most limited resource is land, right? Mm. The majority of our population or the majority of our earth is water, Mm -hmm. right? And so land is actually our most limited resource. And so when we're talking Mm. about like agriculture, Mm. like our ability to feed these populations, things like that. You know, like mm-hmm. our, our, we're still, our population's estimated to increase by 2 billion or something like that within, by what year? I think that as time moves forward and as we have a greater understanding of how um, these ecological processes um, interact with these microbial communities and the microbiome in both the marine environments and the terrestrial environments, it's going to be really important that we keep ourselves informed as to how these interactions are affecting and being affected by our everyday lives, right? Because I, I mean, whether or not it's up for debate, human activity is it's large. It's not. This podcast <laughs> I, is absolutely okay. not. I'm not. We're not debating that. It is definitely happening. Yeah, that's yeah. Human human activity is largely responsible for the climate change for climate change and what we're 
what we're seeing right now, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that education is the best way mm-hmm. to kind of stem the flow of this problem, mm-hmm. right? Like if we can understand that, you know, um, global warming doesn't just impact sea level rise and um temperature change and like viral spread and things like that. But it also affects these really important microbial communities that are ultimately responsible for sustaining all populations and all life on earth, Mm -hmm. right? Like what can we do to make sure that we are being held responsible and accountable for all life that exists and that's responsible for these changes, right? So I know you're, you're, and we're trying to wrap up here, but I am curious based on that. That makes me wonder, I want to know from you, if, what do you imagine an ideal world being like? What would it look like? Because with the, with the understanding, and maybe it's my own understanding, that human beings change the environment no matter what. Right. Even if we are as green as we possibly it, could, it's, we're going to change the environment. So wh- what would it look like? And you're welcome to paint any picture you want. I mean. You know what? That's a really hard question because... As you said, even if we're the most green of civilizations, Mm -hmm. right, just our mere existence affects Mm -hmm. our surroundings, right? It's like Schrodinger's law, right? Just by looking at something, you change it. You know what I (laughs) mean? Um, But I think that ideally what would happen or what would have to happen is we would have to have a comprehensive knowledge of how our presence affects the world around mm. us. And I think that is our major limitation, mm-hmm. not just having that knowledge, but being um, open to accepting that knowledge, right? And being open to that understanding because a lot of people don't really care. Again, right? we don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. But so yeah. I think ideally one would be having a comprehensive knowledge of how like what our interactions with the environment mean for the environment mm-hmm. and the processes that exist. And then also I think it would just be making a sustained and conscious effort to replenish or, or sort of compensate for what we take, whether that be Mm. um, an increased output of CO2 Mm -hmm. due to fossil fuel burning, like what's a way that we can mitigate that or sustain, I don't know, like I just finding a way to, to sort of so maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't having really a more effective feedback mechanism yeah. from our observation and our knowledge gathering, and back into into regulation and, and societal. Um, I hate to use the word control, but but a way to to regulate society and 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 so it's 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 but a, I guess creating I, more more sustainable. Sure, but I guess like my hope would be that we as a society would um, be more proactive and less reactive, right? Cause yeah, we're in a, exactly. Because that's really what it's about. Right now, everyone is so resistant to change because it's largely reactive, mm-hmm. and it's going to cause a change maybe right, in 20 years, right. maybe. Yeah. You know, like, we don't know. But so, we don't have a... That's the point. It's like... Right. It, and right, we're just so, like, I don't know. It just seems like right we, now our result have, is like... Uh, it's going to be really hard and expensive. So, yeah. uh, you're like, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, are right, we so at the point of no return? Like, are we at that? Are we past that point right. where, you know, we're just, we're gunning for it and yeah. we're just going to go there no matter what? Like, the term point of no return is interesting. It's, it's a little um, emotionally charged, I think. And I think it implies that there is a doomsday 
whether or not we're, I mean, that's our, you know, that, that I think is, that I think is, is worth a discussion and maybe even a, an argument. It's like, what is, so we just outlined, this is what the idea would be, but what is, what are we actually heading towards? Well, I think, you know, it's definitely change, you know, definitely um, suffering, increased suffering um, in, a, in a variety of sense, whether it's, you know, people dying or, or just having to move, mm-hmm. a massive cultural sure. change, Absolutely. you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, I lo- totally lost my point. But <laughs> we'll edit that out. Anyway, yeah. All right. Sarah, did you have anything else you want to chat no, about? No, I don't. Topics? I lo- this is so interesting, and I think we definitely um, should, like, at a later time, keep up to date with this and talk about this again because totally. it's so interesting there's so much more we can say yeah let's let's agree to meet back For here sure. in this podcast room in 2050 okay we'll see where we're at <laughs> yeah. absolutely all right thanks sarah thank you there you go that's episode two little snafu in the middle but i think it came out okay still how about you what did you think now, we're just getting the Headful Science social media machine fired up here, but uh, please visit us on Facebook at Headful Science. That's Headful with just one L. And tell us what you thought about today's episode. Or just share some uh, science gossip with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks again to my co-host, Sarah, for standing in as this week's guest. She's so awesome, isn't she? Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Hey, guess what? Next week is Sarah's first episode. She's flying solo. She's sitting in the hot seat. She's going to be talking with a guy named Ben Adelstein about his work with micro microfluidics. What? What's that? You've never heard of microfluidics? Yeah, me neither. But, you know, Sarah's going to ask him all about it. We're all going to learn together here. So download that episode three on SoundCloud coming next week, hopefully. And uh, yeah, let's learn together. I'm, I'm excited, guys. I'm super stoked. Yeah, I'm stoked. And I don't just use that word randomly. This is, I'm excited. So come back and check it out. All right. Now it's your turn. Go get a head full. Bye-bye.